While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. Whenever you sit down to casually browse through any historical material for Northeast Georgia, either if it's in the library or on the internet, when you get to Athens, you invariably run into the tree that owns itself. It's a legal and historical oddity that happens to appear in all descriptions of Athens, along with that canon. You know the one I mean. I could do an entire episode on the tree that owns itself. It would sound like this. A landowner in Athens in the general vicinity of 1825 signed the deed for the land surrounding a tree for eight feet on each side to the tree. The tree owns itself. There's also a double-barreled cannon in there somewhere. Thank you for listening. It would be a quick episode and really a good story, but of course... A tree can't own property in the United States. The only person who ever claimed to see the deed was the fellow who wrote the first newspaper story about the tree. And the tree died in the 1940s. The tree that stands now was nurtured from an acorn of the original tree. Trees can't inherit property either. However, this episode is going to start and end with a tree in Athens. This tree is the Robert Toombs Oak, and this is Moving Through Georgia, Robert Toombs. Robert Toombs was born in Georgia in 1810, and the story has it that he entered the University of Georgia in 1824 at the age of 14. He lasted a year, but was dismissed. Apparently, he had difficulty following the rules. He managed to get reinstated, but was finally expelled in 1828, at which point he went to Schenectady, New York to finish his degree and then studied law at the University of Virginia. He returned to the University of Georgia in time for the commencement ceremony that he would have been part of had he not been booted out. As the ceremony proceeded in the chapel, Toombs took up a place just outside beneath a hundred-year-old oak and began to speak. Those within the chapel heard the eloquent speech and slowly drifted in small groups outside, choosing to listen to the expelled Toombs rather than the school's official slate of speakers. Afterwards, the tree was forever pointed out as the Toombs Oak, and it was a popular point of the campus tour. He was elected to the Georgia General Assembly, uh, Toombs was, not the tree, then the U.S. House of Representatives, where he would join his friend Alexander Stevens. Toombs was in the House when the Mexican-American War ended in 1848, with Mexico losing a significant amount of territory to the United States. To determine how that land would enter this nation, Congress passed a series of bills that were known as the Compromise of 1850. Under these bills, California was admitted as a free state, Utah and New Mexico were left to decide their status for themselves, and the Fugitive Slave Act made it easier for slaveholders to recover those slaves that had previously escaped from the South. 
Conflict over slavery in the Western states is a major milestone as we travel forward toward the Civil War, but at the time, war was not a foregone conclusion. Many people felt that concession and compromise could lead to a strong, stable union. At a special convention, Toombs and Stevens helped create the Georgia Platform. They resolved that the Union of States was second in importance only to those rights which the Union had been formed to protect, and that the original Union only held together initially through a spirit of compromise. A spirit that would be needed to maintain the Union at this point, especially now that the United States has extended the sway of Republican government over a vast wilderness to another ocean and proportionately advanced their civilization and national greatness. That's text from the Georgia platform. They said that Georgia has considered the tenets of the Compromise of 1850, and although they were not in favor of all these points, they would agree to abide by the agreement, but warn that secession would be an option if the federal government were to pass legislation ending slavery in Washington, D.C., if they refused to admit a slave state into the Union, or if they interfered with the Fugitive Slave Act. This is a pretty short document split up into points, and the fifth and last point is a reiteration. They state that upon the faithful execution of the Fugitive Slave Bill by the proper authorities depends the preservation of our much-loved Union. There it is. They basically say that Georgia will follow the Compromise of 1850 in good faith as long as the North does the same, and secession could follow if that good faith were broken. Actually, the case for maintaining the Union was quite strong in the South at the time and was even further strengthened under the Georgia platform. In 1851, Stevens was re-elected to the House and Toombs was appointed to the United States Senate. Compromise could only go so far, however. In 1860, the issue of fugitive slaves and slavery in Washington, D.C. required another senator to put forth another proposal for another compromise, and the whole thing fell apart. After Abraham Lincoln's election and Georgia's announcement of secession from the Union, Toombs resigned his Senate seat in 1861 and returned to Georgia. He served as a delegate to a convention in Montgomery, Alabama that was tasked with creating a new nation and electing a provisional government. Among the delegates of South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, Toombs was considered a favorite for the position of President of the Confederacy. He was considered a moderate among this group and he had a long history in state and national politics. Alexander Stevens put Toombs' name forward as a candidate, but Jefferson Davis won the election. Davis would later make Toombs the first Confederate Secretary of State. I've read a few sources which say without a lot of evidence that Toombs lost the election due to the same qualities that got him expelled from UGA. He simply wasn't the best at social decorum and following the rules. He immediately had difficulties working with Jefferson Davis. When the Davis administration began plans to attack Fort Sumter, Toombs disagreed, saying, Mr. President, 
At this time, it is suicide, murder, and it will lose us every friend in the north. You will wantonly strike a hornet's nest, which extends from mountain to ocean, and legions now quiet will swarm out and sting us to death. It is unnecessary. It puts us in the wrong. It is fatal. He didn't stay in his government post for long. After a few months, he resigned and took a commission as a brigadier general in the Confederate Army. He led troops through several battles and was shot through the hand at Antietam. He resigned his commission in 1863, possibly after being passed over for promotion, and he became a colonel of a Georgia militia unit. At the close of the war, he was in Washington, Georgia. Jefferson Davis and the remains of the Confederate cabinet entered town, avoiding northern soldiers who sought to collect a reward for his capture. Toombs offered the use of his carriage while they were in town, but he refused to invite Davis to his home. His anger towards Davis ran deep. He believed that the South had lost the war due to some serious infringements on personal rights, uh, specifically conscription. The draft, he felt, demoralized the common man and dragged him away from his home, making him more of a prisoner than a soldier. There were other points of contention, of course, and Toombs would discuss them and defend them vigorously throughout the remainder of his life. And the story of that life is really well told in a 1962 article by William Y. Thompson in the Georgia Historical Quarterly entitled Robert Toombs, The Man Without a Country. When federal troops arrived at his house to arrest him, Toombs slipped away into the woods while Mrs. Toombs stalled them at the door. He moved around northeast Georgia, including passing through Habersham County before moving into Alabama and then New Orleans. He boarded a boat and escaped to Cuba, where his wife joined him not long after. The couple traveled to Europe and spent some time touring and spent some time in Paris. Toombs continued to correspond with friends in the United States and severely criticized the path of Reconstruction. His letters were bitter and switched between a wish to return to his country and his contempt for those now in charge, especially President Johnson. He did return in 1867 and even met briefly with Johnson in Washington before returning to Georgia. He refused to accept a pardon or swear loyalty to the United States and willingly gave up his right to vote or hold office. He considered himself an unreconstructed rebel. He was also a man who was getting older and whose friends and supporters were falling away and whose cause had disappeared. He was free to live his life since he was obviously no longer a threat to the Federals. Toombs reopened his law practice and did engage in politics. He was involved in writing a new state constitution at the convention in 1877 and briefly considered a run for governor. According to a historical marker in Clarksville, Georgia, Toombs purchased a home to use as a summer residence in 1877. In 1884, he sold it to Judge Logan Bleckley, who would eventually become the Chief Justice of Georgia's Supreme Court. Later, the house would burn down and be rebuilt. It's still in Clarksville today. 
Toombs' wife died in 1883, which threw Robert into a deep depression. He died in 1885. The Toombs Oak on the UGA campus, according to legend, lasted until 1908 when, and it was only a large stump without branches, it collapsed. Another legend says that it was struck by lightning the night Robert Toombs died. A long elegy for the tree was printed in the Athens banner, forever cementing the link between the tree and that UGA expellee who would return to charm the crowd away from the commencement ceremony, Robert Toombs. Pieces were collected and sold as souvenirs. Three players in this piece were later honored by having counties named after them, Toombs, Stevens, and Blackley. Okay, I have one more minor historical point, but before we do, I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a historical podcast mostly focusing on Northeast Georgia. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review or a five-star rating. And if you have any good stories you want to share about living in Northeast Georgia, please, I'd love to hear them at movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. Earlier, I said that after the Georgia platform was written, Toombs was appointed the senator from Georgia. Article 1, Section 3 of the United States Constitution states that the Senate would be made up of two senators from each state, chosen by the state legislature to serve six-year terms. That's how senators were seated until the 17th Amendment was passed in 1913, after which senators were elected to office. They still serve six-year terms. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.